Section 13 of The Roswell Report, Case Closed, by James McAndrew. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Bennett. The Roswell Report, Case Closed, by James McAndrew. Appendix C, Part 2, Interviews. Transcript of interview with W. Glenn Dennis, alleged first-hand witness to events at the Roswell Army Airfield Hospital. Footnote. W. Glenn Dennis, interview with Carl T. Flock, November 2, 1992. End of footnote. Question. You started getting calls from the base mortuary officer, is that right? Sometime in the afternoon on some day in July, 1947. Dennis. Right afternoon, yeah. Question. Do you recall, was that before the story appeared in the Roswell Daily Record? Dennis. I don't know. I'm sure it was. I can't honestly say, but I don't think the paper came out until the next day. I don't think. I'm just assuming that. Question. I understand. When things like that happen to me way after the fact, I try to remember, and I wasn't sure if you had any recollection or not. It was the base mortuary officer who called you, not any of the MDs out there. Dennis. No. Question. He was just... The mortuary officer was just the guy... Dennis. We used to have a standing joke. What did you do that was so bad that made you the mortuary officer? Question. Exactly. Dennis. He wasn't a doctor or anything, but he was an officer, and he was probably some old boy that was trying to figure out something to do with... We used to all have them come in, even the officer himself, say, God, I didn't know I screwed up that bad. Question. Was this a guy you'd worked with before? Somebody you knew real well? Dennis. No. Those guys come and go. Question. I realize that. You don't remember what his name was or anything like that? Dennis. No. I'm like Bob Shirky. I think if I would see it or heard it or something, I might. Those guys, they were in and out. The mortuary officer, usually they would appoint some sergeant or somebody. The only time the doctors were involved is when you'd have an embalming inspection or dress inspection where the doctors came in and examined the body to make sure everything was right. You had another inspection to make sure their dog tags, make sure all the medals and everything... They always had two crews of inspectors. The doctors were only involved in the cause of death or the autopsies or identification process, dental charts and all that. After they did their work, then a doctor would always come in and make sure the body was embalmed because they knew more about it than the other people. But they were involved before, you know. Question. The reason they contacted you was because Burt Ballard's funeral home up here had a contract with the base, right? Dennis. Yeah. Question. You worked for Bert for a lot of years, didn't you? Dennis. Yeah, a long time. Question. When did you first go to work for him? Dennis. I went to work for him. I was hanging around the funeral home when I was like a freshman in high school. I'd want to make some extra money. I'll give you 50 cents to wash the hearse. I knew his daughter real well. We were all in school together. That's where I really got involved in the funeral home. I just kind of worked my way into it. Question. He basically taught you the trade and all that? Dennis. Oh yeah. My folks weren't in the funeral business. 
question. The reason I was curious about it was because when I went back, I'm one of those guys that goes to Washington and then gets fed up and leaves and swears I'm never going to go back, and then I go back anyway. But the last time I went back and did that, I shared a townhouse with a guy for a while who was a mortician from Michigan, but he had to go through all this formal training and all this rigmarole. Dennis. No. That started in... Inaudible. Maybe you don't want to hear this, but I was in the ninth grade and this teacher was going around and wanted us to write a composition on what we wanted to be when we graduated from high school. What were our future plans? I was kind of a wise guy, I guess I must have been, but I said Undertaker, and I don't even know why. All the girls squealed, so I got a little attention. Then she said, okay, if that's what you want to do, then you've got a week. You bring me your composition. I want to know why you want to be an undertaker. So I went to the funeral home. They didn't have any books in those days or anything, but that's where I went. That's why I got involved in it. Started. Question. How long were you in that business before you... I know you ran the Wortley Hotel up in Lincoln, New Mexico. Dennis. Oh, that was after I retired. Question. Oh, I see. You retired from the mortuary business. Dennis. Oh, yeah. I was in the funeral business 33 years. Question. All the time with Ballard? Dennis. Oh, no. I had my own funeral home over in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and one in Socorro, New Mexico. Question. Oh, okay. Speaking of that, do you know Norman Todd or his family? Dennis. His dad and I took the state board together. He was at Clovis, New Mexico. Norman's his son, isn't it? Question. Yeah, he's a lawyer over in Las Cruces, New Mexico. His. Dennis. Wasn't his dad the funeral director in Clovis, New Mexico? Question. I think so. The reason I know him is because Mike Cook, who is Steve Schiff's press secretary, and he have been friends ever since they were in kindergarten together. It turns out that Iris Todd, I guess his stepmother, is the niece of Loretta Proctor. So talk about small world. You got these calls from the mortuary officer who was asking you all these questions. We don't have to go back through all this. Then at some point you decided to go out to the base. What took you to the base? Dennis. At some point I didn't decide. That's not correct. Somebody wrote that, but I don't think it's right. The way I ended up out at the base later, we had the ambulance service. The way I got it, the ambulance service, I got a call, was an airman that was hurt. I took him to the base. The best I remember, he wasn't on a stretcher or anything because he walked up the ramp and he sat up in the front seat with me. So he weren't real bad and weren't dying. Anyway, this guy walked in. I walked him in. Where I usually parked the ambulance, there was a field ambulance there. I had to go back up to the front. The airman and I walked up the ramps. That's why I went to the base. Question. The hospital in those days was apparently a complex of buildings, right? Dennis. Yeah. Kind of like Bob Shirky said, like the officers club, they're all wooden barrack types. Question. So the building that's out there now, the rehab center, is a completely new building and had nothing to do with that. Shirky. No. Think of a long walkway, like a tunnel, attached to the front of a series of... Question. I know just what you're talking about. Dennis. 
with a little breezeway between each building, the best I remember it. Isn't that right, Bob? Shirky. Yeah, here was the building, and you came out the front door, and you went down this walkway, which I just said, like a tunnel. You could see from one end to the other, but all these separate buildings, which were different wings of the hospital. Question. This was the infirmary where you took the airmen, right? Dennis. There were some ramps there. I think the old ramp's still there. It was. Anyway, that's the kind of buildings they were. You don't see it today, no. Question. I knew that the building, most of it, was new, but I wasn't sure if they built onto it. Dennis. That had been worked over two or three times. Question. When you look at it, it looks like it's been one of these things where they've added things to it. So you pulled around behind the infirmary, basically. Dennis. It was a pretty tight squeeze in there. You couldn't get very many cars in there. Question. How many of those ambulances were back there? Dennis. There were three old box ambulances. I call them box ambulance. I guess you call them... I wasn't in the military, so I don't know what all the terms were. Question. Like these old field ambulances? Dennis. They've got the old square field ambulances, you know? Question. The airmen walked up that ramp with you. Both of you guys went into... Dennis. The airman and I both went in. Question. Did he see that stuff in... Dennis. He wasn't paying any attention because he had... I had a tourniquet and towel over his busted nose, and he went right on in. Question. Got himself into a little trouble in town, did he? Dennis. Rode an old motorcycle. The reason I remember it is because he had an old Indian motorcycle, and I just bought one. I paid $40 for one, and he rode one, and I didn't have any fenders. And I was thinking of maybe of... Question. So you took him in there, and then basically after you got him taken care of, you figure you'd go look up your friend, the nurse. Let's get that straight. Dennis. Stan Friedman, I think. Somebody thought that I was having a relationship with this nurse. I was not. This girl wouldn't even think about going with me, and she was going strictly. When she got her time paid back to the service, she was going into an order of the nuns, sisters, and she was going to be in education, and later on she changed to the nursing deal. The only reason she was in it, because her folks were in debt, and she went in the service to get her education. She got her education, and then she was going to pay back the church what they owed her. Her whole thing in life was, from the day she was born, her life was planned that she was going to be in an order. Question. Did she ever tell you which order that was? Dennis. It was in St. Paul, Minnesota. That's all I know. Question. That's where she was from? Dennis. That's where she was born and raised. She never went out of the city until she went to... My understanding was she never went anywhere and she never lived anywhere. She was raised up from the time, strictly raised by the church. That was the only life she ever planned. She wouldn't date a man if her life depended on it. She'd get around and talk and everything, but there was no way. But everybody said I was going to marry her, and that's bullshit. Question. The implication was that she was cute and... Dennis. She was cute. I could have been interested. If I wouldn't have played second fiddle to the Catholic Church, because that's what she would have been. Question. How did you get to know her? Just being out there on the base? Dennis. 
the ambulance service. You go out there and you've got your splints on a guy, you've got first aid, whatever. You can't just throw them off your stretcher. You maybe help them. Sometimes you're out there two hours or three. Then while you're waiting to get your equipment back, you sit in the coat room with the doctors and with the nurses' quarters. That's where we always had our cokes and stuff. Question. So you just shoot the breeze with whoever's around. Dennis. You get to know these people. That's the only way. See, she'd only been there less than three months. Of course. I'm a crazy son of a gun. Nearly everybody remembered her. She was a good-looking little thing, a beautiful little girl. We thought she was kind of lonely. Question. As you well know, there's been a major effort to try to find her. Skip in tape. Dennis. She was out here less than three months. Question. So you went back there. Tell me what happened. Dennis. I started back there, and that's when I got in trouble. I saw this officer standing there, and I saw this debris in the back of the ambulance. Two of them was full of debris. Like Bob Shirky saw a bunch of little stuff, and there was a couple of pretty good-sized... Question. Two of the three ambulances had stuff... Dennis. One of them's door was closed, but the other two... There was two MPs standing right out, kind of just leaning up against the back of those, I remember. Question. Did they challenge you when you tried to go in? Dennis. No. Evidently because I drove up with that airman and they just figured whatever. Another thing. When I was there, all the people that was there, that nurse was the only person I saw that was permanent station. Everybody else was all new in that whole hospital operation. Even in the coke room, there wasn't anybody in there that I knew. I started back and got to the door and I saw this. Pause. We've been friends for years, but I don't want to talk with him around. Question. So the stuff you saw, you said it was not aluminum. Dennis. Looked like hot stainless steel when it got hot. When you put flame on stainless, see? I do sculpture work and all that, and I know what the stuff looks like. Question. Oh, you're a sculptor? I didn't know that. Dennis. Yeah, I've been doing it for years. I had my own foundry. I did. I don't do it anymore. I have my stuff done. But anyway, this stuff was a blue-purplish. It looked like hot stainless steel is what it looked like. Steel that got hot. It didn't look like aluminum. It wasn't even melted like aluminum. I don't even think it was melted, just like a bunch of fragments. Question. But there were some bigger things in there besides the fragments, right? Dennis. Yeah. There were was two pieces. Anyway, do you want to go back to the nurse? Question. Yes, please. Dennis. I started back, see, and this captain was standing there, and naturally, I just thought we had a plane crash. When we had that, we used to fill up the ambulances and everything else. It would, inaudible, for you to have a hand here or an arm or a foot or something. You know what I'm talking about. Then you've got to get in and take all that stuff and separate it and put those bodies back together with identification. That's what you've got to do. I thought we had a crash. I saw this guy. I didn't know him. He was standing there at the door. Question. Just inside? Dennis. Just kind of standing like in between the door of this room up there. I was going down the hall. I said, sir, it looks like we had a plane crash. Do I need to go in and get ready for it? Question. This was an officer? Dennis. Yeah, he was a captain. 
I remember the bars on his inaudible. He said, who are you? I told him I was from the funeral home, and he said, wait right here, don't move. Then he came back. That's when the two MPs came up. When the nurse came out, we started down the hall, and that's when somebody in the back of us said, bring that son of a bitch back. That's when the red-headed captain asked where the sergeant came in right there. Then they took me on out. As I was going down the hall, she came out of, like Bob said, out of this room, and there was two guys in back of her, and they all had towels over their face. She saw me and she said, Glenn, what are you doing here? Get out of here. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. How did you get in here? She said that two or three times. She was sick. Question. This is when you were talking to that first officer? Dennis. Yeah. He just told the MPs to take me back to the funeral home. Question. He had just told them that, and then she appeared at that point? Dennis. He told them to take me to the funeral home, and we started down the hall, back out the hall, and that's when she came out of another room with these other two guys. What happened, she told me the next day, they were all sick because those little bodies were in those sacks, and two of them were very mangled, and the smell was horrible, and one was whole, and two of them were very badly mangled. Question. Did you get a whiff of that stuff yourself? Dennis. No, evidently not. If I would have, I would have known what it was. I worked on a hell of a lot of stuff. Question. In that tape you talked about working on floaters and all that kind of stuff. Dennis. You know? Question. I haven't had professional experience in it, but I've been involved in it. Dennis. In New Mexico, you've got this hot 100 degree stuff, and you've got bodies out there two or three days, and inaudible. Question. This red-headed guy, what was his rank? Do you remember? Dennis. I think he was a captain. It seemed to me like he had on some bars. Question. When he first appeared and started getting, essentially, pretty rough, was the sergeant around at that time, or did he show up? Dennis. He was kind of beside him. I think they were standing there. Yeah, they were definitely standing there together. I don't know if they walked in together, because I didn't see them until they turned me around. Question. Was there a lot of activity at that time? Were there people? Dennis. People were everywhere, and the odd part of it was there wasn't anybody, wasn't any of our regular people. These were all people that I'd never seen before. That's why I got in so much trouble. I'd never seen these guys. Question. These were not any of the guys that would ordinarily recognize you as somebody who would... Dennis. And they sure as hell didn't want me there. You know that. Question. When he says, get him out of there, the redhead... Did he make any threats to you himself? Did he say, don't say anything about this, forget it? Dennis. He said, just like that. He says, now listen, mister, you don't go back into town starting a bunch of damn rumors. This guy swore as much as I do. Anyway, he said, don't start a bunch of damn rumors because nothing happened out here. There's no plane crashes. Nothing's happened. You don't go in and start. Then he told the MPs, get the son of a bitch out of here. That's when I said, right then. I said, look, mister, I'm a civilian and you can't do a damn thing to me. You go to hell. That's when he said, listen, mister, somebody will be picking your bones out of the sand. Then the black sergeant said, sir, he would make good dog food or something like that. I remember the dog food. 
The next morning at 6 o'clock, the sheriff was out at my dad's house and told my dad, Glenn may be in a lot of trouble with the base, and tell him to keep his mouth shut. I never told my story to anybody, but my dad came up. I was living in a room at the funeral home. He came up and got me out of bed and wanted to know what I'd done. He was a very patriotic old man, and he said, If you've done anything against our government, I'll take care of it. Question. When was this? Dennis. The next morning. Question. You were saying what the heck, what's going on? Dennis. Yeah. I said, well, hey, he said, George Wilcox, the sheriff and my dad were real good friends. And he said, George tells me you're in a lot of trouble out there. He wasn't going to leave and I told my dad the story. He got all upset because they threatened me and all this kind of stuff. I didn't see the nurse then until the next day. After I saw her then I kept calling. When I got back to the funeral home, I started calling because she was in trouble and so was I. Question. It was the next morning after you'd been hustled out of there that your dad came by to see you. Dennis. Yeah, six o'clock in the morning. Question. He'd been called by the sheriff. Dennis. The sheriff went to my mother and dad's house and at six o'clock, my dad always got up early, sat and had coffee. He was an old carpenter and building contractor. He and George were old friends because he used to go hunting, and Dad was making gun stocks, so they were good friends. They used to play some kind of domino games, or 42, whatever you call it. They were good friends. Question. So the sheriff went by to see your dad. Dennis. Dad said he was there at 6 o'clock. Question. The sheriff came by early in the morning, and then your dad immediately came from home and came to see you. Dennis. After George Wilcox left, my dad came up to the funeral home and wanted to know what I did. Question. Did your dad say why the sheriff... Had the sheriff been contacted by the base or... Dennis. No, he just said he was concerned about what I'd done, how I'd got in trouble. Question. Do you remember what he told you about what Wilcox told him? Dennis. He just said George said I was in trouble at the base, and what did I do? Question. Then after having this rude awakening, you then, did you call the nurse? Dennis. Well, yeah, this was in mid-morning. I remember I finally, I waited until kind of, well, it must have been 9 o'clock or so, and I called. I knew the workstation that she always worked at. She was a general nurse. They didn't specialize. Just orderlies and everybody was on general duty in those days. I was informed that she wasn't there. She wasn't working. She wasn't working that day. Question. It was one of the other nurses that you talked to? Dennis. Yeah, it was an old girl by the name of Wilson. Captain Wilson. I asked her, I said, what happened? She said, Glenn, I don't know what happened, but she's not on duty. I'll try to get the word to her that you want to talk to her. She was wanting to talk to me, but she was sick. She was in total shock. Question. Did she tell you later that she was sick? Dennis. I knew she was sick. She came out with that towel. She said she and the two doctors were sick. Then at the officer's club, she said, I want to know what happened to you, and I'll tell you what happened to me. The only way we ever got to the officer's club... The old regular group said you don't go anywhere, you keep your mouth shut, inaudible, said that. The old group, they would have known us. 
It probably wouldn't have mattered, but these people, hell, these people didn't know us. And of course, I had a pass, and I had an associate membership to the officers' club, the funeral home did, so I could go as I pleased. I had free access to the base. Question. Did you meet her at the club? Dennis. She said she'd meet me over there. She was sick. She said I'll meet you there. Question. When you got there, she was at the club? Dennis. She was walking up when I drove up. She walked over. It wasn't very far from the hospital. Question. She walked from the hospital or... Dennis. From the nurse's quarters. Question. Let me back up to the event with the MPs. They physically hustled you out of the hospital. Dennis. Well, they didn't carry me out. They said, come on, we're taking you back, one on each side. They didn't have their hands on me or forcing me. Question. I've forgotten which one of the accounts has them lifting you right off your feet and all that kind of stuff. Dennis. No, they may have got me by the elbow, but that was that. They were nice guys. They were doing what they were told to do. Question. They got you to the ambulance. Did they follow you back to the funeral home? Dennis. One followed me in a pickup and the other one sat in the seat with me. Question. Oh, I see. He actually rode with you in the ambulance. Dennis. He rode with me and the other one drove a pickup and picked him up. They had a pickup. Question. Did the guy riding with you say anything about what was going on? Dennis. He said he didn't know what was going on. That was the first thing I said. What in the hell's going on, you know? He said, you know more about it than we do. Something similar to that. I don't know the exact words, but he didn't know anything. Question. Now we're back to the officer's club and you met her there. When you saw her, how did she look? Dennis. Like a nervous wreck. Her hair wasn't combed or nothing. She said she'd been sick all night crying and everything else, and she was still crying. She was hysterical. She put her hands over her face and said, I can't believe it. The most horrible thing she'd ever seen. She was really in bad shape. Question. You called her and wanted to get in touch with her to talk with her about what happened. Dennis. I was curious. Question. Did she seem reluctant at first to talk to you about it? Dennis. No, she said, I've got to talk to you. I want to know what happened to you. She said, I've got to talk to somebody, and that was it. You know, I had seen her a lot. I knew all those old girls out there, you know. Question. Did she give you any indication or any reason to believe that she had been told to keep her mouth shut about it, or... Dennis. Well, yeah, because I'll tell you what. She had this drawing on the back of a prescription pad, these little bodies. It was on the back, a little small thing on the back of a prescription pad. She said, I'm going to show you something, and you have to give me your sacred oath that you won't tell anybody when you got this, and you won't ever mention my name, because I will get in a lot of trouble. That's what she said. I will get in a lot of trouble. Question. She didn't say specifically what somebody had. Dennis. No, she just said, I will get in a lot of trouble. She said, will you do that? I said, sure. She showed me that, and she had it written on the back like I had it on the back of that. You have my drawing, where I said, note, and all that. That's what she said. Question. She let you keep that? She gave it to you? Dennis. Yeah, she said, you look at it, and you throw it away. I never did. 
I went and took it back and put it in my personal file. Question. Which subsequently got tossed, apparently. Dennis. Well, all the files got tossed. Question. What happened? Dennis. Well, the funeral home, I hired some guys. The manager up there now was there before I left, and Raymond said that he doesn't know, because when he was working up there was another manager, and he said he thought Joe Lucas told inaudible. Of course, Joe and I weren't very good friends, and we'd had some problems over the funeral business, and he said Joe found my files. He said, I know he went through everything you had. He and I had a partnership in a business, and I put up all the money, and it went sour, and so we had problems. Question. You and Stan Friedman actually made an effort to try and find that, didn't you? Dennis. We went down there. The old file was right where I said it was. It was still there. But it was, Stan will tell you, we went down in this old basement, and I knew exactly. See, I kept files on every case that I was involved in, murders, anything that I went to court on, that I was a witness on. I kept all that. I called those my personal files. If I ever had to go back with the insurance companies or anything, I had it all right there. That's why I had those. Question. You found the filing cabinet, but there was nothing in it? Dennis. No, we went through it. There wasn't a thing in it. Stan and I both. Question. They'd stripped it out, or was there other stuff in there? Dennis. There wasn't anything in there. Question. After all of that excitement, then what? Did it just kind of evaporate? Dennis. It just kind of evaporated. Then, of course, two or three days later, I was concerned about her because she was sick. I took her back to the nurse's quarters and let her out. I called back the next day, and they said she wasn't on duty, and I called the next day, and they said she wasn't on duty. Then I went back out there. For some reason, I don't recall. I went out there, and I asked about the lieutenant, and they said she'd been transferred out. They said, she was transferred out yesterday. Well, that was the day after I saw her. They got her out the next day. Question. Who told you she'd been transferred out? Dennis. I don't know. Some nurses? Question. It wasn't anybody that you remember? Dennis. No. Question. Did they tell you where she'd been shipped to? Dennis. They didn't know. They said she had been transferred, and that's all they knew. Question. But then you heard from her subsequently. Dennis. About three or four weeks later, I got a card addressed to Ballard Funeral Home. It was from her, and inside it just said, just a short note, she said we will correspond later to see what happened to each other. Something similar to those words. She said the only way you can contact me is through this APO number. And there was an APO number. It was a New York APO number. Question. So she'd gone to Europe or someplace. Dennis. Then right on the bottom she says, I'm in London. That was it. I wrote a note, just a note, that said if you feel like it and you get time, then I would love to know and we'll correspond. Mine came back. That was about three or four weeks later. Mine came back. Question. That was the one that was marked deceased? Dennis. Yes. It said return to sender, addressee, deceased. Question. Then what did you do? Dennis. Inaudible. Question. You didn't try to follow up or see if there was any possible... Dennis. No. I asked. Inaudible. 
At the time, we called her Slats Wilson, a big, tall nurse, six feet two inches, six feet three inches, big, tall, skinny girl. We called her Slats. Everybody called her Slats. She was the one that told me she'd heard that there was a plane crash, and she was the nurse that went down on a training mission. She said, that's strictly a rumor. I don't know anything about it. That's what I... Question. No one's been able to turn that one up at all. Dennis. I guess maybe I should never even mention this. I know no one believes this damn story. Nobody believes this story. Question. I don't know if that's true. Dennis. Anyway, it was a hell of a story. I told... Inaudible. I said I told the woman. I don't want to give you her name, because I told the lady I'd give a sacred oath and I didn't want to get involved. Well, it's been 45 years, almost 40 years, and I haven't heard anything. He said I will do it confidentially, and nobody else will have this name. Well, that's where he broke his promise after that. I got all over him about it. I called him, and I was madder than hell. He said, well, Bob Shirky was the one that told everybody that he was sitting in the back of us. Bob brought Stan Friedman up there when he interviewed me. He said, Bob Shirky was the one that let out her name. To this day, Stan Friedman, inaudible, still says he did not put her name out. I've been on several shows, not several, but two or three interviews, and I'm not going to mention her name. If somebody says, is this her name? I'm not going to say it is or it isn't. I told Stan I was madder than hell about it because I did give my word. Question. There's another side to that, too, from the standpoint of those who were trying to get some answers. By not having her name around, it makes it easier to cross-check the stories that you get from people. You have, it's a question of honor, and that's very sound. I applaud you for that. There's not too many people around these days that are concerned about that kind of thing. And it's also, from an investigator's point of view, an advantage, too. Dennis, I've never read this stuff. I've never watched the videos. I've never read any books. I haven't even read Stan's books. I haven't even read Kevin Randall's, only what they say about me. Friedman is a lot more accurate, but see... Question. You mean about... Dennis, about me. I've read that. That's the only thing I've read. I'm not a UFO guy. I've got another life besides UFOs. But anyway, Stan Friedman's story is pretty well right. But Randall and them was always said I got curious. I didn't get curious. I went out there on a call, just like I told you. Question. The section of their book that refers to you is really kind of cryptic, anyway. Dennis. They said the book was already published. Now they had a copy. Friedman sent them a copy of my tape. They had the inaudible. Hell, they had my tape. They just made that up. Somebody did. Question. I was puzzled by it when I read their book. That whole section where they refer to you, and it's all very mysterious, and your name is not referred to in the table of contents, but you're in the list of people that's been interviewed, but you're not one of the key people lists. Dennis. They never did interview me. Question. They never talked to you at all? Dennis. Not personally. They didn't interview me until a long time later, a year or so later. They only had Stan's tape. Question. So when they were actually writing their book, Dennis, the book was already published. Question. When they were doing the writing, they were working from Stan's tape. Dennis, evidently. Question. 
Who was actually the first UFO investigator to get in touch with you? Dennis. Stan Friedman. When they had unsolved mysteries here and different ones, there was a lot of people. I'd get different ones. I had different people come and say, we want to talk to you about the UFOs. And I said, I don't have anything to say. I don't want to talk about it. And I never did. I've talked to very few people since. Question. How did Stan come to find you? Dennis. One of the guys that I went to school with, high school, and Captain Harry Blake, he's a general now, inaudible. Question. Is he still on active duty? Dennis. No, he's retired. He was just a general in the military school, National Guard, I don't know. He never was really a good friend of mine. We lived across the street from each other when we were kids. Question. So that's how Stan found you. He was the first guy to talk to you. Dennis. Bob Shirky brought him up there to see me. Pause. Question. There's a reference in here to you having some years later, I think, talked about a pediatrician that you knew, a guy that was stationed. Dennis. I can't find his picture, and I don't remember his name. I ran into him when I was fishing up in Colorado, and we ran into each other. Question. This was a guy who was at the time stationed here? Dennis. He was here, and they called him in. He said that was out of his field, and he didn't want anything to do with it. Question. They actually called him in and asked him to take a look at what had been retrieved, or... Dennis. He said they called him in. I don't know. He said, but I said that was out of my field, and I didn't want anything to do with it. That's what he told me. Now. Question. Did you get the sense that he knew more than he was telling? Dennis. I would say so, yeah. I'm sure they did. A lot of those guys out there did. Question. You don't remember his name? Dennis. I don't remember it, but I did run into him. Somewhere I've got his name. Question. Have you talked with anyone else? Had you during that time before you got into all this? Dennis. No, I wouldn't have even talked to him about it. He brought it up and wanted to know whatever happened on the UFO business. Question. It was at his initiative. Dennis. I didn't bring it up. I told him I didn't know any more about it than he did. He said, well, that was strictly out of my field and I didn't want to get involved in it. That was about it. But he brought it up. I didn't ask him. Question. He was just curious about what happened. Dennis. Wanted to know whatever happened to it. Question. That's about all I've got. End of section 13. Recording by Aaron Bennett.